our time of studying God's word to him, let me lead you in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us your holy word. We thank you for preserving your word for us so that we can read it today. We ask that as you forgive and cleanse us from our sins that we may know your spirit working in us, that we might respond to his promptings. Please help us to understand and obey and pass on the things that we read in your word today. We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <coughs> I think uh, we may all be familiar with the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. But the passage that we just read from the book of James also, interestingly, has Ten Commands found in it. Today I want to briefly look at these Ten Commands as found in this book of James. The passage we read earlier that uh, Sue just read to us describes two kinds of wisdom in chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Wisdom that comes from God and the other kind that comes from Satan. Those who want to be leaders in the church must be getting their wisdom from God or big troubles will result. James is saying this because as we read in chapter 3 verse 1, some of those seeking to be leaders were not even able to control their tongue. James then in chapter 3 following verse 1 gives illustration after illustration of the dangers of an uncontrolled tongue. Mature leaders submit to God's wisdom that we find in verses 13 and 17 and verse 18. But in verses 14 to 16, James outlines the results of worldly or what he calls satanic wisdom. The worldly wisdom brings about all kinds of sin and trouble in the church. And we see that as we read in those verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. But after this bad news of the trouble that comes in the church when people rely on wisdom from Satan, he gives us this good news. The picture he gives to us is of those who, as it says in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So James is here quoting the Old Testament to remind us that though we may sin, God will show us grace and mercy if we are willing to humble ourselves before him. The Greek tense here indicates that God's grace is active and it gives us and he gives us more and more grace as we need it. A wonderful promise that we can all draw upon. But James goes on to say that this supply of grace is only available to those who are willing to humble themselves. So it's a promise with a condition, it's limited. If we are proud and refuse to repent and humble ourselves, God will in fact oppose us. The word opposed is a military word that is used when a state of war occurs. So if we insist on following the world's wisdom, we will be in fact in conflict, in conflict with God. Then James gives his Ten Commandments explaining how we can make peace with God. Command number one, found in chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. The words submit yourselves are in the imperative tense in the Greek, as are all the Ten Commands we find here in James. This means that the command is not just an ordinary instruction, but the one is that it is both urgent and obligatory. That's an old English word we don't use much these days. You should see me trying to explain that in Myanmar. We're under obligation to obey this command. It's urgent, it's imperative. It's imperative in the Greek. 
The word submit carries the idea of a person choosing to willingly submit themselves to the authority of another person. This is what a soldier does when he joins the army. He willingly places himself under the authority of the army. If you don't do that in the army, you're going to have a pretty rough time. You need to do as you are told, follow orders, follow instructions, obey commands. This, of course, is also how we start the Christian life. That's how we start living as a Christian. How do we do that? Well, we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. This is how we continue to live the Christian life every day. Is this a command that you have neglected to obey? Are you submitting yourself to God? I think one of the best illustrations of this is the old hymn, one of my favourites, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. A profound truth, very important. The secret of being happy and a successful Christian is found in those words. Are you happy in your faith? Maybe you're not obeying and trusting. So often a day people only want to hear things that make them feel good, things that do not involve effort or discipline or hard work. And yet Jesus said in John 14:21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Will you commit yourself to submission, submission to God and all that he says in his word? Command number two is also found in verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist is in the imperative tense in the Greek. The word resist is also a military term and is used when speaking of two armies who are opposing each other on the field of battle. They're resisting each other. Submitting to God involves resisting the devil, wickedness and selfishness. Are you resisting the right person? Every time we sin, we're actually resisting God and submitting ourselves to Satan. It's as simple as that. Profound, is it? It's pretty simple. It's amazing how many Christians are resisting God instead of Satan and self. Are you one of them? Do you need to ask for forgiveness and cleansing for your rebellion against God? We hear a lot today about spiritual warfare. James here gives us a very simple yet very effective formula for victory. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. Is Satan fleeing from you? Are you resisting him? Are you submitting to God? Have you got the order right? First submit to God. Only then you can successfully resist Satan. Command number three is found in verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The words come near are in the imperative tense in the Greek. Coming near to God is an Old Testament expression that James has picked up. It was used when the people of Israel would travel to come near to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. It was said that they were drawing near to God. Drawing near to God is the delight and desire of every true believer. Do you identify with that? Are you delighting in the, the privilege you have, the wonderful privilege you have to draw near to God? Coming near to God is a great thing that we can do very simply. How do you come near to God today? Well, we don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem, although that would be an interesting holiday depending on how much conflict's going on between the Palestinians and the Jewish people at the time, how many rockets are going over. But 
I'd like to go one day, but um, maybe when peace comes might be a good time. But for the Christian, coming near to God is as simple as praying to him in any and every situation. In other words, we come near to God by faith. Notice I said by faith, not necessarily based on our feelings. Don't try to resist Satan if you're not close to God. Is that good advice? It's vitally important that we keep close to God at all times, but absolutely vital when seeking to resist Satan and the forces of wickedness. Do you make the special effort to draw near to God on a daily basis? There are many ways we can draw near to God. The fact you're here today is one way of doing that. Every time we pray, quiet time, devotions, even singing a hymn or a song as you're travelling around, we can draw near to God in so many different ways, moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year for the rest of our lives. If we do not feel near to God, maybe there's some sin in our life, some rebellion causing a break in our fellowship with God. Maybe we've stopped living by faith and started to live by our feelings. If, it was only, if we're only close to God, if I was only close to God when I felt like it, I would not be close to God very often. Feelings are unreliable. The Bible said God is with his people. I like the Billy Graham crusade explanation. They said it like this. God said it in his word. I believe it in my heart. That settles it forever. So we don't rely on our feelings. We rely on what the Bible says. Command number four, also found in verse eight. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. The words wash your are in the imperative tense in the Greek. To draw near to God requires that we be washed clean from sin. James is here also using another Old Testament concept. When the people got to the temple to worship, they had to wash their hands before they could enter into the main gate to the temple. This is because God is holy. Like Moses in the burning bush, we are on holy ground when we come to worship God. We need to be cleansed. How do we as Christians wash away our sins? 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The verse, if you haven't memorised, you really need to. Two verses there. In the King James, I like the King James, so I'm going to quote it in that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you been cleansed? Have you been forgiven? Have you been converted? If so... Are you appropriating the shed blood Jesus died and paid on that price for your sins day by day? Are you clean? Can you draw near to the holy God? Command number five is also found in verse eight. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The words purify your are in the imperative tense in the Greek. First we are to wash our hands. That speaks of outward cleansing. Now we have inward cleansing. Both are essential if we're to draw near to God. Remember this command is to you and to me. This is something we have to do. You are responsible to purify your heart. You might say, well, how do I purify my heart? Well, 1 John 1, 9, again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the cleansing not only of our outward sins, our hands, 
but also our heart. By confessing our sins, we are applying the blood of Jesus to our various sins and we purify our hearts. You need to do this today, day by day, moment by moment. Command number six is found in chapter four, verse nine. James says, grieve. I like the King James Version. It says, be afflicted. I think that sort of says it better for me, but I'm an old bloke. The word grieve is in the imperative tense in the Greek. In other words, it's a command. The word means to feel sorrowful. Are you sorry for your sin? This grieving, this deep sorrow we feel when we have sinned is one of the marks of a true believer. If you are not grieved by your sin, you're in deep trouble. If you grieve about your sin, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Where there is no conviction of sin, there is no work of grace. No, no salvation, no activity of the Holy Spirit. So be thankful if you are grieving about your sin. Some people, of course, are sorry for their sin, but stop there like Judas did. We need to be like Peter, who was not only sorry, deeply sorry for his sin, but he repented, confessed and forsook his sin and went on in Christ's service. Are you sorry when you have sinned? Are you like Judas or like Peter? Command number seven is also found in verse nine. The word mourn is in the imperative tense in the Greek. We all know about mourning. Either we've experienced it personally or we've seen others experience it. It's a part of life in a fallen world. This word means to show grief, to show signs of grief, of sorrow or regret. It's not enough just to say you're sorry or even to feel you're sorry. James is commanding us to demonstrate, that is to show that we are truly sorry by our actions and attitudes. One way we show that we are sorry for our sins is to confess and repent. Another way is to put right any wrongs we have done when we sin. Do you just dismiss your sins or do you repent? Do you put it right? Command number eight is also found in verse nine. James uses the word while. King James uses the word weep. The word while is in the imperative tense in the Greek. It's a command. This word simply means to weep, to cry or to cry out. Do you ever cry before the Lord when you sin? Does it break your heart when you disappoint the Lord Jesus? One of the signs of revival that we read about in history is this strong awareness of sin. People actually breaking down and weeping even in public because of the burden that's on their hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Does your heart cry out to God for forgiveness? Do you consider sin to be a serious matter? Command number nine, also found in verse chapter four, verse nine. Change your laughter, James says, to mourning and your joy to gloom. The word change there is in the imperative tense in the Greek. The word change, of course, simply means repent. The word gloom means sadness. Can you believe these people that James is writing to? They are actually laughing about their sin. They claim to be Christians, but they're rejoicing in their sin. Do you know people like that? Do you know people who claim to be Christians who have that attitude? Like the person who boasts about how drunk they got, what drugs they've taken, like the husband who beats his wife, or the worker who steals from his employer and then boasts about it. The example could be taken on and on, more and more and more examples. 
These people are rejoicing not in their trials, as James commanded in chapter 1, verse 2. When you counter trials, you should rejoice, he said. But rather they're expressing joy over their sinful actions and attitudes. Have you ever done this? James says this needs to change if we are to get close to God. True and lasting joy comes as a result of forgiveness. Repentance, not joy, is the right response to our sin. Are you seeking joy in the wrong things and in the wrong places? So all these last four words are all talking about repentance. James is emphasising that. Command number 10 is found in chapter 4, verse 10. James says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. The words humble yourselves are in the imperative tense in the Greek. How do we humble ourselves? By submitting to God and his word. We read that in verse 7. The best example of this, I think, is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. It's a long passage, but it really sums up what James is talking about when he says we should humble ourselves. The best example of that, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, we are simply following the example of Jesus. Notice the reference in verse 3 to selfish ambition. One of the traits of worldly wisdom that James mentioned in chapter 3, verse 14, selfish ambition. If we are followers of Jesus, surely we must also be willing to humble ourselves, submit to God every day, just as Jesus did. It's amazing as you read through the Gospels so often, it said Jesus, Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, I've come to do what he wants. Notice in verse 7 it says, taking the very nature of a servant, something James has also done, as we read in chapter 1, verse 1. He says he is a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In obeying this command of James to humble ourselves, we are simply following Jesus. We bow our hearts and our wills to God. We kneel before his throne of grace. Are you humbling yourself before the Lord? Is your pride and self-sufficiency keeping you away from meaningful fellowship with God, being able to draw near to him? Nothing cuts us off from fellowship with God faster than the sin of pride. Each of us needs to examine our hearts to see if there's some sin of pride there deep in our hearts. Each of us needs to recommit ourselves to the way of humility. Remember what James said back in chapter 4, verse 6? But he gives more grace. That is why the scripture says, God is opposed 
to the proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you qualify to receive this wonderful grace? Are you willing to humble yourself? If you are, you can draw near to our holy God and enjoy fellowship with him. Verse 10 ends by giving us a promise, another wonderful promise. If we humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up. Just as Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 9, we just read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This is James echoing the teaching of Jesus that says, The poor and the humble are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me lead you in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us these Ten Commandments that we find in the book of James. We thank you for your grace that never runs out. We thank you for your willingness to forgive us if we are willing to humble ourselves and repent. We thank you for the wonderful privilege of coming close to you. We thank you for your promise that if we submit to you, the devil will flee from us. Please forgive us if we have laughed about our sin. Please forgive us for rejoicing when we should have repented. We ask that you purify our hearts from all sin and pride. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus and ask that you enable us, each one, by your Holy Spirit, to also humbly submit to you day by day. Enable us, we pray, to remember and to practice what you've said to us in your word today. We ask also that you help us to share with others what we read in your word. We bring you our prayers in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.